Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Financial Independence Podcast, the podcast that gets inside the brains of some of the brightest people in personal finance to find out how they achieved financial independence. Today, I'm going to share with you a new kind of financial independence podcast episode. As you know, I usually interview people about how they achieved financial independence and what they learned along the way. But today, I'm going to share with you a podcast takeover. And the idea behind this is I know I don't really post that often and I do feel bad that I'm hardly ever giving you any content and I also am not really paying attention to what's happening in the financial independence retire early world these days because I'm not thinking about money as often as I was in the past. So I know I'm missing a lot of great new podcasts and I want to share the love with other podcast creators and help promote what they're doing but I just don't listen as much. So to kill two birds with one stone, uh, to you know, provide you with more great fire content than I'm producing myself, and to also allow me to get introduced to some of the up-and-coming podcasts that are out there, I figured I would do a podcast takeover series where another podcast could create content that they think that Mad Fientist listeners in particular would enjoy, and then I will publish it on my podcast as a podcast takeover episode. So that's what we're doing today, and I'm excited to introduce the Mile High Fi podcast, which may sound familiar to some of you because one of the hosts is actually Mr. 1500 from 1500days.com, and Mr. 1500 has been on the Financial Independence podcast quite a few times in the 10 years I've been doing this. So you may recognize his voice, but his co-host, Doug Cunnington, is new to the show. And I just met Doug, actually, when I was a guest on the Mile High Five podcast. Uh, I was going through Colorado, and these guys are based in Longmont, Colorado, thus Mile High Five. And Carl and Doug invited me into Doug's basement studio, and I went and hung out for an hour, and we chatted about financial independence. And I will link to that episode in the show notes of this episode. But rather than you know use that as their podcast takeover... I asked them to create content that they thought that Mad Fientist listeners in particular would like. And since you guys have heard my story a million times by now, I figured that would be better than just publishing my interview with them. So without further delay, this is the Mile High Fi podcast guys talking about life after Fi and the things they learned from some of their successes and failures during post-Fi life. Enjoy. Welcome to the Mile High Five Podcast. My name is Carl Jensen, and I'm here with my co-host. I'm Doug Cunnington. So today we're going to talk about successes and failures. And this one, we're going to come at the perspective of post-FI or right when you fire. I've talked a lot about how I screwed up my journey to fire. I was hell-bent on getting there. And that's not what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about what we've learned since we've been retired, if we are even retired. Yeah, I never say that I'm retired personally. And I think as we go through the discussion today, it'll be apparent why. But yeah, I've never used the, you know, retired descriptor. And I think it makes it a little easier just like in general conversation too. And that's something we've talked about. So like when you first retired, were you going around? You were very excited, I'm sure. But were you going around telling people, yeah, I'm retired, and then they would look at you funny or something? I was extremely excited, and yes, that's exactly what happened. You'd say, oh, I'm retired, and you would just get this – it would be a conversation under. And you never want that to happen in a conversation. But you'd say, yeah. People would say, hey, what what do you do? I'm an engineer. How about you? Yeah, I'm retired. And they'd be like, huh? And that would be it. And sometimes you try to explain it, and that conversation never went well. So I just gave up and started saying other things. 
I guess you could strategically use that when you don't want to talk to someone. That is a great thought, Doug. So yeah, we're going to hit the successes and, and failures. And I think we're going to you know jump right into it. So first off, I, I think this is a great one, Carl, and it's one that you came up with. It is to basically test out the fire life and maybe go part-time or take a sabbatical. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So doesn't it seem unnatural to go from a high energy job, which many of us have, a lot of us are software people or lawyers or attorneys. Um, the money is what allows us to retire early in the first place. But then we go from that to doing nothing. I, I don't think it's a good transition. What I did at the very end of my career is I asked to go part-time and I didn't think they would allow it. I thought they'd be like, no, we everyone has to be full-time, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, yeah, sure. I'm like, really? They're like, yeah, okay. Um, so I went down to Tuesday through Thursday. I went to 24 hours a week. And what this did for me, at least, is it allowed me to cut it off completely with confidence because what I discovered is my weekends went from two days to four days. I'm like, wow, this is great, but it's not enough. And it made me hungry for more. It, you don't hear of many early retirement failures, but you do hear of some. And if you're worried that you might be in that group, this would give you a good chance to take it for a test drive. If you go part-time or take a sabbatical, you take time off, you've got that job to fall back on. And you could just go back. This failed early retirement isn't for me. I'm going back. And we have heard more recently, and the, the more people I meet that are post-fi and have stopped working, a handful of them do hit some depression right after they reach their goal. And we haven't talked about this specifically, and obviously you, you did go part-time. Did you hit some sort of low low point? Maybe you wouldn't describe it as depression, but did you have some emotions that were different than you expected? I don't think I ever did, but the fact that I didn't and we'll talk about this a little bit later in the conversation, is an error on my part because I was so worried about that very thing that I just kept myself extremely busy. And I think it would have been good to slow down. And, I, you know, I'm pretty silly, but I probably kept and still to this day have kept myself more busy than when I had a job. Maybe not quite so bad, but not enough downtime. So, no. You're extremely busy. It's uh, shocking sometimes. It's unhealthy. <laughs> so for me, and one observation that I have is when people talk about retiring in general and retiring early, there's some probably some concept like you're not going to go back to work. And I think going part-time or calling it a sabbatical gives you flexibility. So you're not painted into a corner. And I know I have a couple close friends and they're like, well, I don't want to retire and then have to go back. It's like, you're, you're about 40. Like, it's okay if you go back, like you can find another career later that you enjoy, or maybe even don't call it a career. It's just a, a fun thing that you're working on. So I think it does give you flexibility if you call it a sabbatical versus like, I'm retiring. Yeah. So with your story, how did you transition from full-time to the side hustle life that you lead now? Right. So I definitely came at Phi sideways. And for the people that don't know, I had a corporate job. I started some side hustles and then I got laid off. And then I decided to take those side hustles basically full time and earn a full time income. We weren't at a point where we were like close enough to fire or my side hustle income was, you know, replacement income. But I, I had the, the belief that I could do it. So I was like, I'm going to give it a shot. 
it wasn't so that I could retire early. The side hustles were just like a fun thing I was working on. I didn't even have fire on the horizon at all. In fact, my North Star was really just having freedom with my time. And I really credit the Tim Ferriss podcast. I binged it, uh, especially those early episodes. And there was a particular guest named Rolf Potts, and he wrote the book called Vagabonding. Have you read that one, by the way? I have not, but I have heard that interview. I believe it's a two-parter, and I believe Tim Ferriss had said that book was his main inspiration for the life he lives now. Rolf really emphasized uh, time freedom and really as a form of capital and something you should really prize. And that might be something that I implied or took it as, you know, maybe some underlying theme, but I didn't want to like rush around in life. And that's actually a stress point for me. Like if I'm running late for something or having too many things on my agenda, completely stresses me out. So I like to, I like to have a very open calendar these days, a couple anchor points, but I don't want to be rushed around. Basically, my wife and I were trying to figure out how to invest the money that we were accumulating circa probably 2014. And we found Vanguard index funds and Mr. Money Mustache, but we didn't dive into the fire journey specifically. And we definitely are not mustachian by most standards at all. And sometimes we're embarrassed around the the company we keep because we're not mustachian very, very much at all. So since fire wasn't the goal, I think we kind of snuck up on it and I avoided a lot of the mistakes that we're going to talk about today. And part of it was listening to people like you, Carl. I would hear you describe like your life or mistakes that you made, and I would try to avoid them. And then the other portion was, even if it was something that like wasn't a mistake, if you described like some portion of your life and I would realize, well, I don't connect very well with that, I don't think I'd enjoy it, I would avoid it. So I kind of tried to navigate and avoid some of the mistakes that we're going to talk about today. And we were joking beforehand. Um, I only have successes to share, but that is a joke. I've made many mistakes, mainly around like running my, my business and just trying things and failing over and over again, which actually seems to be a okay thing to do. So I think the contrast you just laid out between you and I is very important because I had this stressful job. I found fire as a result of it. Literally, I had a bad day at work. I Googled it, and then I pursued this thing. But you kind of, you arrived at it in a more healthy way. You just were already living the life, and then it just put a name to what you were already doing. Yeah, so I think the main lesson in that, we started talking about sabbaticals and take time off and taking time off ahead of time to take fire for a test drive. But the other lesson is to love your life wherever it is. Uh, fire may not make you happy. So you have to build a life that you enjoy every day, no matter where you are on your financial journey. And th- this is another area which happy accident. I'm just a, a lucky dude. So I moved here to Longmont, not knowing that you lived here, Carl. I didn't even know who you were. I kind of knew that the Mr. Money Mustache HQ was around, but I didn't realize the community that I was walking into. It was just a dumb, happy, lucky accident. So finding a community is super important. And I'll throw it back to you, Carl. Yeah, this is interesting. I was thinking about this when preparing for this interview. And I remember when I I first retired, it's been almost five years. It's been April of 2017. I went for a walk around a park and there was just uh, there was young mothers walking infants like in strollers 
and old people. And I think I went to the gym later in the weekend. There was just seniors playing playing pickleball. So I'm like, well, I don't really feel right hanging out with, with either of these people. It would just be wrong and strange. And it made me realize how important the community is. And I, I hear this all the time, like, oh, I, I just quit, but now all my friends are at work. So what the hell am I supposed to do now? Right. Moving on, and you kind of alluded to this a little bit, Carl, you mentioned you should give yourself permission to slow down. Can you talk about how that like manifests itself for you? Yeah, I was not very good at this. So I had a pretty stressful, high energy career. I was always going, always learning, and it was great. I'm not complaining. Uh, but how do you stop doing that and go to retirement or whatever you, you're going to do afterwards. How do you just turn that off? And it's this is another paradox, I guess. The same quality that makes a lot of us able to retire early makes us not good candidates for early retirement, right? Because we've probably worked really hard at our careers. Uh, a lot of us, like I think Carla, she was going to be a big law person. She's been on our podcast before working big, 80 to 100 hours a week, working weekends, investment bakers. What's the saying? If you don't come in on Sunday, don't bother coming in on Monday. And most of us aren't that bad, but we work pretty hard and it's hard to turn that off. And it was hard for me to turn that off too. So I took on all these projects. I started coding with someone else. I was doing this house remodel and all this stuff. And it, and it wasn't that pleasant. And what I'm about to say next might be a little controversial and I don't want to be insensitive, but we got last September and I'm not sure if you got it or not. I don't think you know, but I, I had COVID and I'm like, oh, shit. So I went down to the basement to quarantine, and I didn't have a severe case. Very thankful. And I'm very sorry for people who have been affected harder than this. But it didn't hit me hard. But I still didn't want to affect anyone else who might have been more fragile. I have immunocompromised people in my family. So anyway, I went down to the basement and did my 10-day quarantine. And, and I actually enjoyed it. I got to sit there and do nothing for 10 days. And my thought was, why haven't I've been doing this all along. Why did I have to have this external circumstance force me to do this? It was pretty silly of me. I watched all these TV, like I hardly ever get a chance to watch TV. It was great, dare, dare I say that, besides the coughing and body aches. Um, but yeah, I got over that pretty quick. And I actually, in preparation for this episode, I forced myself to have quiet time yesterday. I just said, okay, you're going to go down in the to the couch and read and just sit there or watch a show, but no computer, no phone. And it was really nice. Uh, I noticed I went to sleep a lot easier because I was more relaxed. I think I was a more pleasant person. I went up and had dinner. So if if you haven't, and I might be an extreme case, but give yourself permission to slow down. You don't have to go crazy. And it seemed like, Doug, if I were to ask you, I'll bet you were already much better adjusted and you didn't need this encouragement. I think you're quite the opposite of me. Well, I think um – I will often do too much and, you know, make a big to-do list and like feel sort of stressed out. So I certainly identify with like going too fast, taking on too many projects. However, again, as I've observed other people and I see how I react, I noticed that I was working way too much on my business. And I actually had some flexibility to not do that. I, I mean, I was my boss. So any project that I take on, any work that I was doing, it was purely my idea and I could do it or not do it. So I realized that 
I needed to dial things down. And I'm also a big productivity nerd and, you know, it was a it was a really exciting thing for me to learn about and probably half the books behind me on the shelves back there are productivity related. And in the past two years, I've been trying to cultivate being less productive. And I listened to a podcast that you were on recently, um, Bigger Pockets Money, you were on with Mindy. Um, and you guys are doing a series over there, so people should check it out if they haven't. But you talked about being efficient and you're like, I just want to be efficient all the time. And that sounds great on paper, but you can always optimize more. You can always maximize whatever it is you're looking at. Like there's always improvements to be made. So if your goal is to be the most efficient person ever, congratulations, you're going to be like unhappy because you're never going to get there. There's always more to be done. So it's really hard because if you have like a perfectionist ideal in, in the back of your mind and you try to drive towards that, you will end up just always being a little disappointed, which is where I found myself over and over again. I'm like, I should be able to get more done. I read all the books. I'm doing the time boxing and some other blah, blah, blah. And then I just realized, oh, what if I'm wildly inefficient and I just don't do things on some days and I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm taking Mondays and Fridays off for this month and we'll see what happens. Turns out it's intoxicating. It's great. Nothing happens. Like you cannot answer your emails. Like most things turn out totally fine. So it's very stressful as you're doing it. You're like, am I making a huge mistake? You can't get out of your own head. But slowly over the past couple of years, I've tapered things down. Okay, next one is, I guess, another another one from you, Carl. This is great. So don't be afraid to disrupt or reinvent yourself. Yeah, so I've thought one of the best examples of a successful early retiree is Brandon, the mad scientist, because he had his blog and he did that. You could tell he was pretty serious about it for a while. And then he goes months and months without doing much of anything. I don't know how many times he's had a podcast episode in the past two years, but not that many. But the reason behind it is good. It's because he's transitioned to a music career. He recorded his own album. He played all the instruments. I think he's got vocals on there. So he moved on to another passion. He disrupted himself and reinvented himself. And when you're retired, you have permission to do that. You can be whoever you want to be, including the musician that you've always wanted to be. And have you done anything like this yourself? Have you reinvented yourself? Maybe a little bit through this podcast, actually. This is something I never thought I would be doing. Oh, and I guess the other one is public speaking. We just went to Economy back in, when was that, September? And I spoke in front of a crowd of like 500 people, and I never thought I'd ever do anything like that. So, yeah, that's a com complete reinvention of myself. But I look forward to doing more. I have I just bought new guitar strings for my electric guitar, my acoustic guitar. Uh, so I'm going to start doing more of that. I'm kind of curious to see how good I can get if I really put my mind to it. Um, so, yeah, how about you, Doug? I think, yeah, I, I mean, I have, and really it was through the side hustle. So... I have been layering on new skills and learning things, I guess, really since 2013 or so when I started the side hustles. And I was a consultant and project manager. And I think I actually identified that way when I had the job because there was a lot of travel. So if you find another 
a consultant or, or someone else that's familiar with the industry, you kind of have an understanding. So I think I kind of identified that way. But as soon as I got laid off, I quickly forgot about that. And I jumped into my entrepreneurship stuff and building websites. And like I said, I had a bit of a community there. So now I identify like as a podcaster and a YouTuber and I guess a marketer as well. And it didn't happen all at once, but I would slowly like layer on these different skills and be introduced to new people and meet YouTubers, for example. And I've just slowly like layered pieces on. Otherwise it would have been overwhelming to do everything. But now I have all, all these skills and I use uh, almost nothing that I learned in college computer engineering. I mean, I literally don't use any of that. Maybe some light project management stuff, but I can't imagine going back and and doing some of the consulting work that I was doing in the past. So I've I've slowly reinvented myself and and failed a lot of times like trying these little little pieces, many failures, you know, nothing catastrophic, but enough to test things out to see if I would like them. Yeah. So a follow-up question do you think a good goal for retirement life is to have no goals at all? Oh, interesting. It is. It could be great, I would say, if you're really type A and you only were leaning on goals before. I have stopped setting like pure goals and it's more like sort of systems. Like f- for this podcast, uh, for example, like our Mile High Five podcast, I want to release two shows per week and I don't really care how many downloads. I want to see it go up, but I don't usually set goals, which kind of takes the pressure off. It's more like just show up each week. If you're putting out two episodes per week, everything's not going to be gold, by the way, but you're showing up and you're building those skills, you're getting the reps in. So I think it could be really useful if you if you're really type A, you're always setting goals and you're kind of contrasting it and forcing your brain to operate in a different area. What, what do you think? Yeah, I think I think goal setting is a, is a bit toxic because you take yourself out of the present moment and you've set some hard constraint for yourself in the future that's going to take you out of the moment. And with that said, I, I think you should have goals, but Maybe not hard and fast ones like the idea to grow the podcast over a year is great, but to come up with a stupid number like I did in an earlier episode, like let's get to 10,000 by the end of the year, that is pretty silly because it's going to put, put pressure on yourself and and it might change what you do in your day-to-day life and those changes might not result in happiness. Exactly. And sometimes goals like that, especially you know, 10,000 downloads per episode – it's a binary, like you reached the goal or you didn't, and then you feel like you succeeded or you failed. And it's just so much is out of your control. But what we can do is produce two episodes per week and try to do better, more episodes uh, than do a bad job and and to do a little bit better and maybe not make as many mistakes as we did before. And I think we, I mean, I think we're doing that. And it's a very low bar <laughs> to success. I mean, that makes it easy, right? You're like, oh, all we have to do is show up, be hungover or whatever. Yeah, it's kind of like the atomic <laughs> habits, right? Just show up and the Woody Allen quote, right? 90% of success in life is just showing up. But I, I think there's a lot to it. Um, so set easy goals and then see where, where you take it from there, if you're going to set any goals at all. 
And speaking of goals and, and doing work, the next one is meaningful work is key to happiness. Yeah. So I guess what I take away from all this is you still need work. You still need to accomplish things. You need challenges in your life. But the purpose of those challenges and the purpose of the work aren't to make more money. It's for happiness and it doesn't have to be I'm using work in a very, very loose manner. One version of work, I think, could be just going to the gym and, and working out and seeing your weight loss over time or or maybe studying philosophy and reading about something. But we definitely need some form of work. But, but the odd thing is, Doug, you alluded to this before, a lot of times when we do this fun work that we're not doing for money, it turns into money. And I, I think there's a reason for that. I think when you're doing a job that makes you happy, you tend to do a really good job at it because you enjoy it. You're doing this for your happiness and then you start doing it well and then someone wants to pay you for for doing it. So there's also no problem to get paid in retirement. And because I didn't come from the, you know, the fire blogosphere and that whole community and I came more from like the entrepreneurship blogs and podcasts and such. I never really had like a big issue with earning money. In fact, it was a little, I mean, I'm trying to earn money, right? Like the, it's fun to earn money. And I ran into a lot of people that would push back on the fire uh, community and the concepts because they would call out, Hey, that's not retirement. Exactly what you're talking about. Hey, that's not retirement. You're working. And they were missing the point it's not about not working. It's about having the flexibility to do other stuff. Sure. I mean, it could be awesome to not work for a while and maybe travel for a bit. But I think, like you said, it's really important to do some sort of, you know, work in air quotes. And that could be just creating something that you like to do. Maybe it's art. Maybe it's music like Brandon. Maybe you're a painter or, you know, fill in the blank. It could also be something challenging. So working out, or maybe you want to summit all the 14ers in Colorado or something like that, or do them all in the winter, like a crazy person, which I'm not going to do anything like that, but just being challenged and go beyond your comfort zone is really enjoyable. I mean, it's uncomfortable, but then you're always expanding your like sphere of uh, what you're comfortable with and what you could do. And, you know, you got out there and did your talks and I saw some early iterations and you were constantly improving your talk and you were only uh, the first, you know, audiences were probably, you know, 25, 50 people. And then you did 500, which it was a huge auditorium. It was insane. Like I would be nervous just walking across the stage, but you talked for what, like 45 minutes or something. It was amazing. You came so far in like just a few months. Yeah. Thanks for saying that, Doug. Uh, along these same lines, I guess the thought I'm having is I think both – all of us uh, as humans, we have uh, maybe not a responsibility. That seems like too strong of a word, but something like that to be the best example of ourselves that we can be. And and that's uh, spiritual if that's your thing, but it's physical, mental. It's our interactions with others. And, and these challenges like me getting up on a stage makes me a more confident, better adjusted person. Uh, reading, uh, working out, they all make us – better examples of ourselves, And I think that's what work does. And that's what these challenges do. Like uh, <laughs> no one has ever done anything great sitting on the couch, watching reruns, everything that's worthwhile is going to take some effort, right? If you want to 
run a marathon, you better get your ass off that couch and start running. If you want to go to medical school, you better start studying your ass off. But those things are worthwhile because they feel so good after you've completed them. And you'll be a better person from that point on. You'll be physically healthier. You'll be smarter. You'll learn lessons along the way. And even if you fail, there's a lesson in that too. Um, what's that quote you said last time? Like fail your way to success. So I think that'll be a section of uh, talk that I'm putting together. Yeah. So I, I made a series of non-catastrophic mistakes and, and failures along the way to hit five, basically. All right. And I, I love this next one too. And it's probably something we should all do, whether you're before five or after five or right in the middle of it or any, any portion of it. And that is stop worrying. Yeah. So Doug, this is something I have never struggled with and I'm not quite sure why I haven't struggled with it, but I'd like to talk about this one a little. A lot of people are so terrified about running out of money that they stay at their jobs for years longer. Like, oh, what if this happens? What if this happens? And I think the number one thing early retirees talk about is the sequence of returns risk. And what that means is you have a very bad stock market returns for a couple of years after you retire. Because let's say your portfolio goes down 50%. You then don't need a 50% gain to get back up to where you are. You need a 100% gain. I think that's called arithmetic or geometric returns. It, it, it's one of the two. Google, then you'll see what I'm talking about. But I, I think sequence of returns risks are overrated. And I think that way for a couple of reasons. The The first one is a sequence of return risk happens early in your retirement. So when would be the best time to go to work? It would probably be six months after you left when the stock market goes to hell. You're still going to have your skills. Your old employer is still going to be familiar with you. Maybe you've taken that sabbatical, so it's as easy as saying, hey, I'm enjoying this, but my portfolio is down 50% and I just don't feel good about it right now. So I'm, I'm going to go back. The other thing is, I guess I have two more thoughts on this. One is a lot of us are pretty smart and educated. Uh, a lot of us, we tend to be engineers and it's getting more diverse, which is great, but we, we have solid skill sets. It's not hard to go back to work, but not everyone is like that. But those who are, who haven't become engineering majors and that still manage to fire, that's even more admirable, I think, because they might not have had the big money. They had to figure out other ways. And if, if you could figure that out, if you could figure out life and how to succeed without going for this crazy degree or becoming a doctor and all that, you've got a lot of street smarts and other things going for you. And I think if that, that happens, the stock market takes a big drop. I think you're going to figure it out. And those who preach about the sequence of returns risk are underestimating us as humans. I think you should take this seriously. You shouldn't be stupid with your money. You should have backup plans for your backup plans, but stop worrying and stop underestimating yourself. Well said. It's hard to add much more to that, but I'm going to try. I think you just have so much flexibility as you're approaching FI and you can you know, maybe taper it down, like you said, to part-time work and ease into it. I mean, some of these points really work well together. So if you are really risk averse, you could kind of just taper down until you're a little bit more comfortable or you're past that, uh, you know, the first couple years or so where you were a little bit nervous and with the, with the flexibility. And again, I'm coming at this as an entrepreneur, 
I now have confidence that I could earn money on my own because I have in the past. So if I stopped working, I think I could probably figure out how to earn money in some capacity as a freelancer, start another website or start a podcast and build an audience and figure out how to earn some money. And the thing is, when you're when you're thinking about the sequence of, re- of returns and running out of money, you have so many years to correct course and tweak things. So like if you see that your projections are off and if you're a worrier, you're probably monitoring things pretty close on your spreadsheet. So you can just tweak things and maybe pick up a part-time job or figure out how to put a Band-Aid on it for a little while until you feel a little bit more confident. Yeah. Uh, one other thing I'll add in closing to this point is let's say you need $60,000 a year to live in, to live on. That That is your 4%. 3%, which if you believe these Monte Carlo simulations and believe in the past data that creates those simulations, if you go down at 3%, you're super safe. So what that tells me is all you have to make is $15,000 a year. That would be pretty easy. Like you alluded to, there's tons of side hustles. I know people who just sell one of our mutual friends sells, uh, I think, games on Etsy, just this PDF that people could download for five bucks. And she makes like a couple thousand a month. So, so many ways to make money. I don't think there's ever been a better time. Inflation aside, I'm talking about the side hustle part. There's never been a better time and more ways to make money and to retire early because part of this is the nature of work. That's changed too. I don't think no one expects to stay at a company for 40 years, get your golden watch and go to Florida and die. It, it's different. It's a gig economy now. And there's so many new ways to make money with the internet. Awesome. And we, we had our list of successes and failures. What what do you think is sort of like the highest priority, the number one point on our list that people should look out for, or maybe the one that hit you the most, or it was the most effective or was the sort of biggest mistake that you made? Oh, wow. That's a good one. The whole point of fire is to enjoy life and to maximize the time, especially like the beauty of fire is we could leave our job while our bodies are still in good shape. We're not going to retire when we're 68, where our bodies might be in rapid decline and we can't do some of the things that we could have done had we retired at 48 or 38. So just really appreciate your time and live in the moment. Um, If you have been able to achieve fire, take a moment every day to be thankful for it and appreciate it. And I'm not sure where this fits in here. Maybe they give yourself permission to slow down, but yeah, just have gratitude for it, I guess. Doug, what do you think? We arrived at the same point. I think it is give yourself permission to slow down. One of the best things that I've done in the past few years was take more time off. So 20... 18 through 2021, I took roughly two to three months off per year and largely did not work Fridays. And then as time went on, I didn't work Fridays and Mondays and just having like a little more slack and not feeling the pressure of being so productive really felt good. Yeah, that's so good. I'm listening to you talk and that's so true when you're, I, I think being busy all the time leads to another unhappy side effect. It's just that your days fly by so quick. You're so busy. And this is actually what happened to me in 2021. Like 2020 dragged on for the wrong reasons. But 2021 just flew by for me because I kept myself so busy. And it's not, I think it's a toxic way to live. 
we've asked in our interviews that we do with other people, we ask people what their perfect day is. And I've thought a little bit about that with myself, and I'm not exactly sure what the answer is for me. But the one activity I would say that makes me happy is just uh, a mindless walk around town. I'll, I'll leave my phone behind. Sometimes I'll bring a notebook in case I get an idea that I don't want to lose, but I don't even know where I'm going. And I don't know how long I'll be gone for. I just start wandering to someone. And it's very pleasant. Sometimes you'll bump into people and have a conversation. Sometimes you'll sit by the river for a bit. But yeah, that would probably be one of the core activities of my day. Are we good? Yeah, I think we're good. We want to thank Brandon so much. We're grateful to have the opportunity to you know, take over the podcast. And you know Brandon for many years, right? Yeah, I'm thankful to consider him a friend. I met him virtually in 2012 and I met him in person in 2013. And we're usually not in the same place, but we usually see each other at least once a year. Just like old friends, I'm very thankful for Brandon, and I'm, I'm thankful that he's sharing his podcast with us today. Thanks very much. Hey, it's the Mad Scientist again. Hope you enjoyed that podcast takeover of the Mile High Five podcast. Big thanks to Doug and Carl for agreeing to do that. And if you enjoyed it, definitely head over to milehighfive.com so you can subscribe to their podcast there. And they have probably published more episodes than I have. And I've been doing this for nine years longer, I think. So head on over and you can check out episode 48 with me. That was their episode where they interviewed me. And if you are a podcaster out there and have a show that you think Mad Scientist listeners in particular would enjoy and you wouldn't mind me publishing it on the Financial Independence Podcast, definitely get in touch and send it over, and I'd be really interested in taking a listen. Uh, obviously, I can't promise that everything I get sent will be published because I still plan to publish my own content and create my own episodes, and I have actually a few interviews lined up. So the Financial Independence Podcast won't just be podcast takeovers, but uh, if you are a podcaster and you want to potentially take part in a podcast takeover, then please send me an email. And if you're a listener and have a new favorite podcast that you think I definitely need to check out, then shoot me an email as well. And maybe I can get in touch with the producer of that podcast to see if they'd be interested in doing a podcast takeover. But anyway, thank you so much again to the Mile High Fi guys for being the first podcast takeover on the Financial Independence Podcast and hope you enjoyed it. Finance.